So, um, we have something this afternoon that uh, we, as part of our ministry, we have a, a prayer team, intercession team, and uh, if you feel called to stand with our, our, our ministry in that area, we, we just know there's power and agreement and intercession. And I don't like to touch anything unless we consult with headquarters. And then once we consult with headquarters, we just ask the Lord how to do it, not if he still wants to do it. You can waste a lot of time trying to, like, you know, because once you know God called you to do something, then you just do it. And uh, so, but this afternoon, and we, we are, just last year, we, or probably last six months, we've been working on some things to just have some more co- cohesiveness. We had a conference call before this conference. We had a conference call at the beginning of the year that we all get on the same page. And if you want to get on that uh, call, all you got to do is sign up for it on the back table, and you'll be part of the emails, and you'll know when we do that. But this afternoon, if you are on that list, or if you want to be a part of that, uh, please only come if you want to be a part of that. <laughs> we love you, and um, we appreciate every part of you, but it's not a meeting for your latest dream or prophetic insight. Uh, it is a meeting about prayer and intercession. It gets quiet when you say that, but... Uh, <laughs> anyway, um, but... Two o'clock, is it 2 o'clock or 2.30? 2.30. I want to welcome our just director of intercession, Melissa Plot. I want you to stand. She lives in Ohio. Did you want to say anything about the meeting? Two no, thirty. Yeah, we're gonna we're gonna just uh, just kind of do some practical training of how we pursue things, and w- w- it's really simple. We just find out what God is saying, and what you find out when what God is saying in a group like that, you'll find out that He's saying much the same things, and we just pray in that direction. Sometimes we o- overcomplicate things, and so that's at two thirty, right? And then, uh, do you guys got that video up there? Our next event, I want to invite you to that. Registration's open for that. Is that ready? Oh, there it is. So that's Prophetic Clinic. It's basically a Friday. We're going to do all day Saturday. Myself and my dear friend, Prophetess Ruth Magincarpi, an amazing, gifted prophetess of the Lord. And uh, we, it's obviously you can't touch everything on a Friday and a Saturday, but we, we kind of deal with uh, a biblical worldview on words and the power of words. And then we do lots of activations and hearing the voice of God. Paul said, and you saw it up there, Paul said, uh, he was Southern. He said, you all can prophesy. <laughs> and one of the characteristics of uh, the outpouring of the Holy Spirit that Joel tells us is this is in the last days, right? Your sons and your daughters will prophesy. Yeah. So everyone can hear and everyone can speak for God. It doesn't make everyone a prophet. You're not a prophet. If you get a certificate that says you're a prophet or an apostle, or an evangelist. You only God calls those things. But everyone can hear the voice of God. Yeah. And so that's kind of, uh, no matter where you're at, I think that would be real beneficial to you. So you can go, huh? May 17th and 18th, Raleigh, North Carolina, Cornerstone Church. It's a free conference, but you do need to register so we can be ready for you. And then, uh, really, really excited in, I'm looking at my calendar here. I'm doing good. I'm not usually real good with these things. But October 11th and 12th at Covenant Love Church, uh, really excited for Faith Conference. And we have a special guest this year. Dr. Jerry Seville is going to be with us Friday and Saturday morning. That's uh, October 11th and 12th. And then October, excuse me, November 15th and 16th, we have Encounter School in Wilmington, North Carolina. So those are some events we're doing. Encourage you, you can be a part of all those. And uh, I don't. No, none of those events have any registration fee, but you do need to register. 
And also uh, want to let you know about a resource table back there. Every year, probably for the last seven or eight years, the Lord gives me some insight into the coming year. So this is uh, Word for 2019. <laughs> I'm looking out here. Apparently it's two CDs because I went a while. And then notes as well because there's a written edition. And so that's back there on our table. I, I shared just a small part last of that last night. And then uh, I am going to talk about this this morning. Intimacy, part one and two. And then this is from Encounter School, Birmingham. And then you really need to buy this. You need to buy everything, but you really need to buy this one. This is called David Perceived He Was King. This is the best book on identity I've, I've ever read. I've given it to leaders, and not one leader's come back and say, ah, you overhyped it. Best book on identity I've ever read. Really, really good. Um, it, and I've read a lot of books on identity because um, maybe I needed it. But uh, there's, there's just so much understanding and wisdom in there. I think Dutch Sheets is on the cover, and it says this book will change your life, and it really will. So, why don't we stand? And let's just come into agreement for just words from heaven. Father, we just thank you that we are standing on holy ground. And I just thank you for giving people ears to hear and eyes to see. Father, I declare that the word is being sown on good soil this morning, producing 30, 60, and 100 full return. Give people ears to hear and eyes to see. Father, without you, I can't do anything, but with you, I can do all things. So I ask uh, that you would uh, grant me insight, wisdom, revelation, that no word would fall to the ground this morning. Thank you for the angel of revelation that's here. Father, I'm asking that you open up your word to us. Open up your word to us. Let it be like those two disciples who walk with you on the road to Emmaus and you revealed yourself to them and you were you were going to turn and they said to stay. So we say stay. We don't just want half of it. We want all of it today. As much as we can handle and as much as you've preordained for this time. Thank you, Lord, that this is Bethel. This is the house of God. I ask for the spirit of wisdom and revelation into the knowledge of Jesus Christ. Let faith come alive. Um, just started praying, just saw somebody's lower back, right? In your lower back, the Lord heals you. You're healed now, in Jesus' name. Yes. And Lord, we recognize our dependency upon you. Without you, we can't do anything, but with you, all things are possible. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. I want to continue along the lines of uh, this concept of foundation. Foundation is the the basis or, or, or groundwork of anything. And I, I've used this illustration for many years. I grew up outside New York City and um, you used to see these skyscrapers built. And they, it, it was, it was kind of cool because usually they would have a, a picture of what sort of building was going up right on the outside. They said, this is what this is going to be. It's kind of like God. He's real interesting. He starts at the end and then he starts. He knows the end from the beginning. That's why he can choose you. He chooses you with all your issues, with all your disturbances, with all your weaknesses. Because he's got it all figured out for you. And I always say it's always interesting. One of the things that um, you'd observe about these big skyscrapers who are supposed to handle a lot of weight, right? They go, we started construction. I remember you drive by for like six months, a year, a year and a half. You're like, I don't see anything in this building. It's kind of interesting, right? Because a lot of times people just see the end results of things. And they want the end result, but they don't want to build. 
Interesting. I was, uh, my friend just finished church in Connecticut. And I remember the first time he's like, oh, I can't wait till you come. We started construction on our church. I remember I came to the property. I go, it's just a big hole to me. <laughs> it's a beautiful building. It really is. But it was just a big hole when they started building it. Now you see the structure that that big hole was supposed to carry. And I remember when, when the Lord uh, began to uh, kind of give me some understanding about this years ago, I, I, I asked this guy in the church I was in at the time, I asked him, he's a contractor, and I said, well, talk to me about foundations. And he made this statement to me that was really interesting. He said, I don't even mess with foundations anymore. He goes, because... If the foundation is messed up, I'm just fine trying to fix it. It just caused me more hassle. You should just start all over again. Because you just always have all these problems with the foundation, you know, if you're trying to adjust stuff. So, Jesus, even when he walked this earth, to me, in one of his thousand greatest moments on earth, they were all really good. And we only know part of what he did. I'm going to go to that room in heaven called the lost files of Jesus and watch it one day because it's got to be really fast. John's, that's what John says. The books of the world could not contain everything he did. Wow. I mean, I think the Bible's pretty good. (laughs) Like, you did a pretty good job of what I can read here. But Jesus said, and let's turn there actually. Matthew 7 Verse 24. Actually, let's start in verse 21. I lied to you. I didn't really lie to you. I didn't know I was going to start there. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. He who does the will of my Father in heaven. He who does the will of my Father in heaven. So it's really interesting here is... There are people that will stand before the Lord and they call him Lord. And so they have a religious vernacular down, but he's not aware of who they are, but they think they're in relationship with him. Many, he doesn't say a few, many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name and done wonders in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. And then he reemphasizes this point. Verse 24. Therefore, whoever hears these sayings of mine and does them, I will liken him to a wise man who built his house on a rock. And the rains descended and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on the house and it did not fall for it was founded on the rock. But everyone who hears these sayings of mine and does them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand and the rains ascended, and the floods came, and the winds blew, and beat on the house, and it, and it fell, and great was its fall. And so it was, when Jesus had ended these things, that people were astonished at his te- teaching, for he taught them as one having authority, and not as the scribes. So it's really interesting here, is both people will encounter storms. But it's not till the storm comes that you actually realize where your house is founded. Yeah. I find that to be true. And what I mean by that is this. I find the, whole, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit's work in your life is incredibly practical. And, and the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit will actually allow things in your life that they could have prevented to expose areas of flaws in your foundation. Yeah. Not because He wants to kill you, but because He wants to allow you to point out to the areas of flaws in your foundation. I remember not too far from here, uh, years ago, uh, I was working a position as a graduate assistant at Campbell, and I realized about a year and a half into, uh, not a year and a half, a week and a half into the position, that the gentleman who was my boss didn't like me. I mean, he really didn't like me. The Lord finally gave me understanding about two months ago of why he didn't like me. And I'm not going to get into it. But it's nice to get understanding years later. 
And I remember I told the Lord, I said to him, I, you, you know, when you're be, you think you're being spiritual, but you need a Holy Spirit spanking. I said, Lord, I don't need to take this. You know, when you, 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 you have like a degree, you think you're something. <laughs> just, just means, just means you, you, you have a, a degree and you still don't know a whole lot. Degrees don't qualify you for anything. They can't give you purpose. A lot of people go to college trying to get purpose. Nothing wrong with going to college. I got three degrees. Might get a fourth one. But anyway, so I said, Lord, I don't need to take this. This is not right. And I always remember what the Lord said to me. That's right. You don't need to take this. But if you don't stay in this job, I can't do the work that I need to do in your heart. I said, the devil is a liar. (laughs) And that was one where I was just coming to know his voice. And I said, this can't be right. And you can find a scriptural reason not to stay there. Yeah. That's right. I'm being taken advantage. You're like, I'm going to HR. Yeah. <laughs> and I had, if I documented some of the things that were happening, I had a case, man. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, that's you got to watch for that stuff. Because the world likes to make a victim out of you. That's yes. right. I mean, this guy just got arrested because he wanted to be a victim. He's like one of the top 1% in America. But he's trying to make himself a victim. So, being the godly young man that I I was, I went to a pastor on staff to tell him how bad it was so he could tell me to leave. (laughs) And I explain, you know, you tell all the bad details of how bad it is. Get real into it. It's how bad it is. And uh, he looks at me and he goes, yeah, that that's, sounds like a rough situation. He said, but I think the Lord has something for you in this position. I said, the devil is a liar. It's a big church. I just went to another pastor on staff. <laughs> I'm telling the truth. So I went to the lead guy this time. I got, I told him how bad it was. He said, he just kind of backed up. He goes, man, for some reason, I just believe the Lord has something for you in this place. (laughs) Okay. The clergy won't help me. I'll go to my dad. (laughs) Surely he would not want his favored son to be abused like this man was abusing me. And I got into it. I told him how bad it was. And he looks at me and he's on the the phone call. He says to me, you know, sometimes in life, we have to face things that are difficult. (laughs) And you made a commitment to be there, didn't you? Did God move you from the committee? You threw out the God card on me. I said, okay, I'll obey. See, community will save you. And so... See, I had prayed that prayer. God, I want everything. I want your character. I want your nature. I want to react like you. So he was about to show me everything in my character that was contrary to him. (laughs) And I never thought, I just couldn't think back then, you know, there was some incidents in the U.S. where people would go into the post office and shoot everybody. I go... Why would anyone do that? And then I realized why someone would do that. Because I had some emotions. (laughs) Not everybody, just one. Just one person. And I realized, why am I so angry at this guy? Because there's anger here. Because I was from New Jersey, and I grew up in a Puerto Rican household where it was, it was not passive-aggressive. So if you did something I thought was wrong, i just tell you right up, no, you're wrong. I don't care, you can fire me, I'll find another job. That's just how it is, I'll tell you how it is. And then I realized that is not the way of the kingdom. No one can make me angry. No one can define my behavior. And I learned how to smile in meetings where I was being accused of things I didn't do and just go, oh, I didn't do it. You know, just smiling there. False accusation. 
you didn't do this right and this, that, and you're just smiling. Praise the Lord. I'm suffering for Jesus. But I learned how to begin to deal with difficult situations and difficult people and not react with my emotions. So what was he doing? He presented me with a situation that was an answer to prayer that could help me begin to build my foundation properly in him. And my commitment was to stay there till I finished my degree. So I finished my degree early. I had lots of motivation to get my schoolwork done. And it wasn't easy. And on the last day, I cried in the job. He said, oh, you finished your degree early. I said, yes, I did. Out. But you know what happened? Six months later, I got offered my first full-time ministry job. And I was very naive. I thought if you were in ministry, that meant you were whole. It just meant you were called. (laughs) And I began to work in a more difficult environment that didn't even come close to the first environment I was in. But it was the will of God for me to be in that place. And if I didn't handle the first year and a half in a challenging environment, I couldn't have handled the next two years of my life that I needed and I needed to learn some things while I was there. So the Holy Spirit is incredibly practical. So my encouragement to everyone is, obey the Holy Spirit. Don't hit the eject button just because it's challenging. You know how much money I made too? I made $850 a month. What was he teaching me? Right off the bat, as an adult, I want to teach you. How, I want to I want you to learn how to live by faith. Wow. Yeah. So I find walking with the Lord. It's constantly. I had a dream, maybe like eight years ago, and in this dream, actually, I was walking on my college campus from the dorm I was in to the, uh, the, where the majority of my classes took place during my years there. And I remember I was so excited because I was like, yes, I know more. I, I, I have greater understanding. I can be a greater witness for Jesus. And I remember waking up from the dream. Many of my dreams are very realistic like that. I remember waking up from the dream thinking, God, what, what, what is God saying here? And I asked it again, other people will help you. You'll hear the word of the Lord through other people. And your ability to discern it will often define where you can go in your destiny. (coughs) God is not American like that. It's not always individualistic. So I think that that week, I was somewhere and there was this lady very gifted in dream interpretation I said, hey, I'd like to submit this to you. And she said, she, uh, she, she, oh, it's real simple. She says, in your life, you will constantly revisit subjects over and over and over again and continue to get greater and greater insight into what God has said about that. Mm-hmm. And that has been absolutely true in my Amen. life. And one of the foundational things you can never go beyond is your personal relationship with God. That foundation that only gets exposed sometimes when difficulty or challenges come. And that's the other thing. Don't beat yourself up. Just find it as an opportunity to change. The devil wants to beat you up. God's not into that stuff. You lose your temper. I know no one in this room does that. You react the wrong way. You react the wrong way to something that happens in your family. Why'd that happen? Because it's somewhere in there. You know why words are so powerful? It's what you really believe. 
It's where your belief system and where and your belief system defines you. What is unseen defines the world that you live in. Jesus said this. They're like, what do we need to do to do the works of God? Great question. He doesn't go, hey, guys, come tomorrow. I'm going to do the five steps to faith. Come the next day, I'm going to do the five-step healing model. He doesn't say that. He said, this is the work of God, that you may believe in him whom we sent. So he's telling them. This belief system will define your behavior. So if you get your belief system correctly, your behavior will be correct. Yes. The reason words are so important is because they, they are what you really believe. So when someone says, uh, you know, I'm really sorry I didn't mean to say that, what they really mean to tell you is, I'm really sorry I didn't mean for you to know what I really thought about you. It's what's on the inside of you that defines your world. Yes. And so, one of the things I was saying, one of the things that you can't go beyond is, is your, your personal fellowship with the Lord. And for 23 years, I've literally been on this journey of trying to know the Lord. Like, that was one thing I was taught in my home. You don't walk with the Lord unless you talk to the Lord. It's kind of really simple, right? And I haven't arrived, but here's one thing I can testify to. My relationship with the Lord in this season of my life is something that I could never imagine. But I did. I encourage you to have a vision of your life in God. I've had to restart dreams of my life in God. What do you mean restart dreams? I used to sit praise the Lord, with a cup of coffee. And I used to read, one of the things I used to do is read Acts over and over again. Because I, I would picture myself having angelic encounters. I'd picture myself intersecting with heaven and on earth. And when I pictured it, it began to happen in my life. I began to picture myself sitting in my car and God riding with me. And he would ride with me and I'd get up in the morning and the first thing I would hear would his voice. And it's all happened. Without a vision, the people perish. So that's your homework. That's good. Go home. And anything in Scripture is legal to you. Yes. Amen. When I read about Ezekiel, he was high and lifted up. And he saw the Lord. I put myself in the year. Abner was high and lifted up, and he saw the Lord. Yes. Put myself into Isaiah. If it's in the Bible, it's legal for you. Yes. It's not a fairy tale. had to restart. But we've been designed for fellowship. We, we, we cannot connect to God properly without ongoing fellowship with God. That's the way he designed this thing. It's really, really important to know the way God designed you. He designed you to trust him for everything. He designed you to see him as your source for everything. He designed you never have to worry, never have to fear, never have to be overwhelmed. None of that stuff he designed you for. You is not big enough to handle it. But he is really big. Yeah. And we have an obligation to the world. Some people think this is optional. But we have an obligation to the world to live a life of fellowship with God. Here's what Jesus said. Let me just say this. God created humanity to function properly through the lens of fellowship with him. Every promise that he gives, every, every anchor that he gives us was always supposed to be given within the context of deep, ongoing relationship with God. The reason you read the Bible is because you have a relationship with the Holy Spirit who wrote the Bible. That's why he'll help you understand the Bible. And... Because you're in relationship with the Holy Spirit, you're supposed to be having experiences that are similar to what you find in the book. Yes. You can't understand fully the gifts of the Spirit unless you're moving in the gifts of the Spirit. It's really interesting. I find it interesting people teaching on the gifts of the Spirit, and it's from an intellectual point of view because they don't have an experience in what they're talking about. Wow. I'm not saying you can't teach something you haven't fully experienced, but I'm saying is it was supposed to all go together. 
Can you imagine discipleship with Jesus of him? He's just going, hey, you can heal the sick. Next lesson. No, he goes, you can heal the sick. Now go do it. Because it was in their experience they understood. There's just kind of this weird thing that's come to the Western church. Brother, we just got the word and we're just holding on. I love the word of God, but you better be doing the word to really know the word. Yes. That's all we, you know, we just got the word and the word's sufficient. That's, that's some weird stuff. It sounds right, but it's, it's, really, it's really ignorant. People are proud in their ignorance today. Well, anyway, I'll leave it alone. Jesus said this, Teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? Which is the great commandment? Notice he, he speaks of this in Matthew 22. He speaks of this as a commandment. A commandment is to require authoritatively. So God requires this of you. Jesus said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and great commandment. The second is this. Now, these two are not disconnected. When you love God with all your heart, all your soul, then you will naturally love people properly. Right. And, and, and listen to me. It doesn't matter if you pray for two hours, but you hate other people. That's religious games. Yes. It's weird. Amen. People are like, I don't understand. They, they pray for hours, but they're really mean. It's called religious activity. That's what Jesus taught us. He said, if you say you love God, but hate your neighbor, you're deceived. He said, there's always an evidence when you're loving God properly. The second is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. But what's also really important is when you build your foundation on a fellowship with God, you have to relate to God in the manner he intended. Let's go to the book of Genesis. Genesis 1, 2, and 3 are really, really important. Original intent is vitally important. If we do not understand God in the manner he has chosen to reveal about himself, we cannot relate to him properly. I say this over and over again. In Genesis 1, God's intention was not to start a religion, but to establish a kingdom on the earth. Yes. In the garden, God did not lead man into a prayer. He led him to himself. It's really important. Our origin in the kingdom was never meant to be a prayer, but an encounter. Our origin can include a prayer, but the prayer should always lead to encounter with God. God wanted a family that made, up his king, uh, that, that made up his kingdom. Look at Genesis 2. We'll start in verse 7. And the Lord God formed man out of the dust of the ground and breathed into the breath of his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living being. So God goes, and God's right there. First thing Adam does when he realizes he's something, there's God right there. Right in his face. There's no distance between God and man. That's how he intended. He said, I'm right here with you. Amen. And this is what he says. The Lord God planted a garden eastward. Uh, the Lord God planted a garden eastward in Eden. Notice this, that God puts man in a garden, not a prayer room. What's he teaching us? Scripture is a description of the heart and the mind of God. He's teaching us in God's mind and heart, there is no secular and there is no spiritual. Everything's holy unto the Lord. Your time with your family is holy unto the Lord. Your time fellowship with each other is holy unto... It's all a holy act unto God. When you compartmentalize God in your life, you fail to appreciate his role in your life. That's it. That's it. And there he put man in whom he had formed. Notice, he puts man in the garden called Eden. Do you know what Eden means? It means pleasantness. So God places Adam in pleasantness. His, his beginning day, he is placed in a pleasant, beautiful 
place. And out of the ground, the Lord made every tree to grow that's pleasant in the sight and good for its food. Notice too, that the trees don't grow till Adam is put in the garden. Why? Because one of Adam's purposes on the earth was to be a manager. When you fail to manage what God has put in your life, you fail to appreciate properly who God is for you. I've learned, I was telling Pastor Andy this, I've learned not to pray beyond my place of managing properly. Some people are like, I'm praying for a million dollars, and they don't have a $10 vision. (laughs) Why would you, I mean, just think about that. Now a river went out of Eden to water the garden and there parted it because four river heads. The name of the first was Pishon. It is which on the skirts of the whole land, a villa where there is gold and the gold of the land is good. Bedulin, Onyx are there. And the name of the second river is Gihon in, the, in which uh, goes around the whole land of Cush. And the, and the name of the third river is Hidakal, which is, goes toward the east of Assyria. And the fourth is the river Euphrates. So what's also interesting about that is he puts gold in this garden. Where else is there gold? In heaven. He's teaching a lesson. I want earth to look like heaven. Verse 15, And the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden. That word uh, put is he puts him actually to rest in the garden. So Adam starts out at this place with God and he, he's put in this place called pleasantness. Do you know in your connection with God, it's supposed to bring you great pleasure? Yes. Psalm 16 At his right hand are pleasures forevermore. There is a godly pleasure that you're supposed to pursue in your fellowship with God. It's what the world is longing for. The world is longing for pleasure. They're looking for it in drugs or different things. All all these things, they're looking for this pleasure that can only be found in communion with God. So humanity was given life as a gift from God. Life was a gift that needed to be received. Adam was created perfectly and beautiful. Adam is completely loved and accepted by God from day one. His purpose and authority to complete his purpose is given to him by God. Adam and Eve can't find significance outside of God. Adam and Eve were never created to have knowledge of any sin. Do you know, when you don't have knowledge of certain things, you're not tempted to do it? God created you not to have knowledge of certain things because you were just to be focused on beautiful, pleasant relationship with Him. You know, one of the things I can say, I've never really been tempted by alcohol. Why? Because I've never really drank it. It was never in my home. wasn't part of my life. So you put a beer in front of me, it means nothing to me. I have no knowledge of the pleasantness of alcohol. And it's a good thing. That's why generational righteousness is so important. Because God wants your children not to have knowledge of evil things. That's why the enemy has created all these little doors to come in. He wants to hook them and put them in bondage to it. But what you don't have knowledge of, you won't be tempted with. Genesis 2. Go back to this. Thus the heavens and the earth, this is verse 1 through 3, and earth and all the hosts of them were finished. 
And on the seventh day, God ended his work, which he had done, and he rested from all his work, which he had done. Then God blessed the seventh day, sanctified it, because in it he rested from all his work, which God created and made. So here's what's really interesting. Adam is created this perfect being. Adam, Adam and Eve did not need version 2.0. Yeah, I remember, I remember uh, when Windows 95 came out. I thought, oh, Jesus, this is the greatest thing ever. You try and work that thing now, it's completely obsolete. <laughs> With Adam, there was no function in him that's obsolete. Every part of him was perfect. Every part of him was made to see God, experience God, hear God's voice. Live. Here's the other thing. He was made to live forever. Think about that. He's created, perfect, loved, accepted, and then he's made to have authority over the earth. His purpose was to be God's ambassador. And so God goes, by the way, you're supposed to take care of the earth. Pretty big job. And then... The next day, God goes, you know, if he's like me, I'm going, so where do we start? And God goes, take the day off. (laughs) I'm convinced one of the reasons he tells him to take the day off is he wants to get into his consciousness. Everything you ever needed, I've already given you. You can't earn any of this stuff and you need to receive the gift of life that I've given you. So Adam and Eve were always supposed to start at the place of complete acceptance in God. We know Genesis 3, sin has tragic results. Adam is afraid of God and hides from God, yet God comes looking for him. That's good news. You imagine that? You change the course of all world history. You're like, I really messed this one up. You know, like, you would have think, like, God gave him a day or something. Oh, I'll just, you know, like, like we do sometimes. I'm just going to let him just sit in there twice for a while. No, here comes God. Adam, where are you? On your day of worst mistake, here comes God looking for you. Do you know what's interesting? He didn't need to be taught to have shame. Shame was a result of the choice he made. So he turns away from God. Immediately, shame and guilt try to get into the consciousness of Adam and Eve. Here's the other thing they do. Before, right... Before, some people think, because there was such a glory, they didn't see each other. I I don't know what, how they were walking around naked. I do know this. If they could see each other naked, they saw each other exactly as God saw them, so it wasn't weird. Think about that one. That's why God talks to you in the shower. He's not, like, having any weird thoughts about you. It's not like, oh, they're naked, I can't talk to them. He doesn't think like you. (laughs) So when Adam and Eve are looking, because they're perfect. There's no corruption in their thinking. But what do they do? Sin results in them looking inward. We're not good enough. We need to put something over us. So one of the results of fallen humanity is we look within ourselves instead of looking to God. It is still plaguing the body of Christ today. This is key because another thing I talked about. Because sometimes when you're put, put in a difficult situation, the enemy loves to beat you up. Because why? He's the accuser of the brother. Me, not you. Oh my gosh, you lost your temper with that person. Now you go, oh, you got a word from the Lord now. You're a hypocrite. <laughs> and you're going to pray in the church. You know you haven't prayed enough this week at home. What's it always pointing to? Your performance. It's good, Adam. It is 
He's the accuser. You know, I've told him now. That's right, I did do that. But you got the wrong guy. Because I have an advocate. His name is Jesus. I've repented to God. I've told my friends, so I've gotten healed from it. And you got the wrong guy. So I'm going to prophesy everything the Lord tell me to say today. (laughs) Now the good news is that Jesus came to restore us to the Father. Jesus was separated from the Father, so humanity would never have to be separated. Separation for the believer is simply believing a lie. You're like, I feel alone from God. If you're in Christ, you believe in a lie. Because He's right there. On your worst day, He's right there. You're like, I'm not doing the right thing. He's still right there. I can help you. Yeah, I didn't want you to do that. But I can help you with that. Yeah. You're like, I feel, I feel lots of shame and guilt. I can help you with that. I'll take that away. I died for that too. Yeah. I just don't ever feel like I can do it right. Well, I killed that part of you off. That's your old person. I, that's dead. So Jesus was separated so no one would in this room would ever have to know separation. Now, here's where it gets really good. See, God is beyond genius level. Can you imagine this, this going on? They already know Adam's going to mess this thing up. I, that really, I, I just like, I wouldn't even have started. But the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit did not consult Abner. And they don't consult you. So I could see the Godhead... I could see they go, so they're going to be in sin. What are we going to do? I could see the Holy Spirit. This is what we'll do. Jesus, when you go and you become the second Adam, you become everything Adam was supposed to be and more. This is what we'll do. When you die on the cross, we'll put their old life up on that cross with you. We'll crucify it to the cross. And when you die, you'll die for their sins. And then when you go to hell, get the keys of death in the hell, we'll give them a new nature called being born again. And a whole new race of people is going to come into the earth because of your death and resurrection. For as in Adam, 1 Corinthians 15, 22, all die, even so in Christ, all shall be made alive. 2 Corinthians 5, verse 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. All things have passed away. And behold, all things have become new. Now, that's really big deal because when you got born again, your spirit uh, your spirit got remade, reborn again, and it's 100% perfect. There's no spiritual defect in you. Now keep this in mind. This is also important. Now all things are of God, who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. Notice that part. He emphasized that thing. All things are from God. Here's the other thing your new nature does. Your born-again experience gives you the privilege of divine placement and elevated status. Your born-again experience gives you the privilege of divine placement and elevated status. The word born-again, they're not 100% sure the clearest meaning on that, but there's several that you can have. From the top, from above, and from the beginning. That's what being born-again is. To be in Christ, you've been put into an elevated status that though you're here on earth, you've been created to live above everything in this earth. Yes. Here's what Jesus prays. This is just before he is, he, he is going to go to the cross and he resurrects. I do not pray. This is John 17. I do not pray for these alone, but also those who will believe in me through their word. How many believe? This is you. He's praying for you. 
that they all may be one, Father, as you are in me and I in you, that they also be, be one in us, that the world may believe that you sent me. Now, here's something really interesting. Uh, when Jesus walked on the earth... Hi. I just noticed I'm up there. <laughs> Sorry. That's how my mind thinks. When Jesus walked on the earth, he walked as the expression of everything God intended for Adam. He's fully God, but he's also fully man. And he chooses to live as the son of man. Every part that you see Jesus functioning in the gospels, he is functioning as a man in right relationship with God. God wanted Adam sinless. Jesus was sinless. God wanted Adam governed by the voice of God. How was Jesus governed? By the voice of God. God wanted Adam governed by the knowledge of God. How is Jesus governed? John 8, he says, I learned things from my father. God wanted Adam only to speak what God said. So, how do we know that it was possible for Adam to walk on water? Because Jesus walked on water. And so when when Paul teaches us, don't be conformed to this world, which he's actually saying, don't be like Adam. Don't be conformed to Adam. Be conformed by the renewing of your mind. So what are you doing? The reason I'm expressing that is because when Jesus walked on the earth... He walked as a man in right relationship with God. And in his relationship with God, he functioned, though he walked on the earth, he, 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 he modeled for us the New Testament life of a man seated in heavenly places. Yeah. So he's saying, God, I'm praying that they would be one like we are one. I'm praying that they would understand the elevated status they have now. See, Jesus, I'm telling you, he's beyond genius level. He put you into the place where you could always be favored, you could always be loved. He put you into Christ. Yes. That's why your performance has nothing to do with it, because he put you into Christ. Jesus already did everything to do to get what you need. So he's praying this prayer that they would be one. He was always, at that, that to me was one of the most painful things that he goes through on the cross. Yeah. Yes, he's physically going to die. But for the first time, he's going to be separated from his father in heaven. So you would not have to be. First right. Corinthians six seventeen. If anyone is in Christ, he is one spirit with him. So he's praying that you would know this. And the glory which you gave me, I have given them. What's that glory? The glory of living from heaven towards earth, not earth towards heaven. There's a big difference. And you'll notice that Jesus does not react to everything that happens to him. He only, even his disciples are like pressuring him. He goes, nah. His, his parents are outside. And he goes, you, you know, your mother, your, your mother and your brother's outside. He goes, these are my family, those who do my will. Yeah. You almost think it's offensive. His, his good friend Lazarus, they, he, they got an evil report about him. And he goes, let's finish the seminar. I'll get there when the father tells me to get there. Yes. He's not reacting to every need in front of him. He's not reacting to every text, every phone call from his family. Well, you know, we'd like to be in that meeting Saturday morning, but you know, you know, my mom, you know, she just really wants us to come over every Saturday for breakfast. Okay. If your mom is bigger than the Holy Spirit in your life, there's an issue. Amen. Good. It's real quiet when you say things. I and them, you and me, that they may be perfect in one. How, how, why is this such a key? That the world may know you sent me. And have loved them as you've loved me. So you know what a key part of my relationship with God every morning? I go, God, you love me. Thank you that I'm your son. I don't even relate, quite honestly, I don't even talk to God about my function. I don't go, hey, I'm a prophet. Like he knows that. He's much more interested in me as a son. There you go. 
It's like, oh, Lord, and I encourage you to do this every day. Lord, thank you that you love me. 30-day challenge for you. Here's more homework for you. Figure you came on a Saturday morning because you could get some homework. For the next 30 days, start every morning and say, Father, thank you that you love me like you love Jesus. I'm dearly loved by you. Why are we emphasizing that? Because a big part of your relationship with God is not trying to get God to show up for you. It's trying to learn to abide in the sacred place He's put you in. For you love me before the foundation of the world. O righteous Father, the world has not known you, but I have known you, and these have known you that you sent me. Look at um, John 3, because it will really emphasize this point. Everybody still with me? Timothy, it's good to have you this morning. Tim, I just saw a, a door just of encounter the Lord's opening for you. Angels, voice of God, and a, and a remantling of you. And uh, I just see this angel just like dusting off just all that previous stuff. Go! In Jesus' name. Break you free in Jesus' name from accusation, slander, And I bless you as a son in the kingdom. And I see Jesus just touching your ears to hear. Next three weeks, you'll hear his voice as never before. Lord's really pleased with you, Tim. This is Jesus talking to Nicodemus. We'll pick it up in verse 10 just for the sake of time. You'll notice this is the only context that we find in Scripture. Now, he could have done it, but it's just not in Scripture. This is the only context you have him discussing the concept of being born again. The only thing that you find the Gospel writers describing Jesus' teaching was the kingdom of God. Are you a teacher of Israel? Do you not know these things? Most assuredly, I say to you, we speak what we know, and we testify what we've seen, and you do not receive our witness. Verse 12, if I told you earthly things and do not believe, how, you, how will you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended to heaven, but he who came down from heaven, that is the Son of Man who is in heaven. He's telling Nicodemus, I'm in heaven, but guess what? I'm standing on earth. What's he telling him? I'm live, I'm, my consciousness is facing the world from a different place. He was describing that elevated status that he's giving us. It's funny. Jesus, he's got some things to say. He's standing on earth. He goes, by the way, I'm in heaven. Nicodemus goes, no, no, you're right in front of me. No, no, I'm in heaven. You know that thing? He said, don't be so heavenly minded, you'll be no earthly good. No, you better be real heavenly minded. I know what they're saying. They're talking about like maybe flaky people. But real godly people are very heavenly minded. So here's Romans 6. Christ has raised us from the dead and we know that he cannot die again. Death has no power over him. Yes, when Christ died, he died to defeat you of the power of sin one at a time, enough for all of time. He now has a new life and his new life is with God. Here it is though. In the same way, you should see yourself as dead to the power of sin and alive to God through Christ Jesus. And here's Paul putting language. And he has raised this up. Ephesians 2, verse 6. He has raised us up with Christ. This is present tense right here. To seat with Him in heaven, He did this for those in Christ Jesus. Romans 8, verse 30. God planned for them to be like His Son. That those He planned to be like His Son, He also called. And those He called, He also made right with Him. And those who He made right with Him, He also glorified. He actually gave you the glory that Jesus had. 
How is Adam created? In the glory of God. What did sin do? Made him fall short of that glory. What is the glory of God? The goodness of God. What is the goodness of God? He wants to be near to all men. Second Peter 1 verse 4. You'll see this in apostolic emphasis. By which you have been given exceedingly great and pre- precious promises, that through those who have been made partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. So how do we escape the world system? We've been given the divine nature of God. Christ in us, the hope of glory. So you have three distinct persons. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Three distinct persons, one God. And it says, according to uh, Mark 16, Jesus is seated at the right hand of the Father. So what does he do? He makes you part of this community in heaven. That you nature, which is righteous in him, and your born-again spirit actually have the ability to dialogue with the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And that's why your mind needs to get renewed, because your mind didn't come perfected, but through the Word of God, your mind begins to think according to heaven's perspective. And all your favor is attached to the new nature, not the old. So when you talk to God, like, I never do this, I never do it right, he's kind of like, I killed that part off. It's dead. I'm dealing with your righteousness now. Gets quiet when you say that too, but it's true. Crucifying the flesh is not a singular action. When you walk by the Spirit, as a consequence, you crucify the flesh. Here's where it gets even better. Everything that God asks of us, he first gives us as a gift. We only give back to God that which originates with him. So we want to love God. We want to live this life of fellowship with God. But everything that he asks of us, he wants you to love him with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind. He puts that love first on the inside of you. That's why it's so important to actually receive it as a gift and not try and earn it. It's only the love of God that operates in you that allows you to do that. John, you'll see this emphasis again, John 3. John answered and said, A man can receive nothing unless it's been given to him from heaven. Romans 5. And this hope will never disappoint because God has poured out his love to fill our hearts. He gave us his love through the Holy Spirit. Who gave it? God. The only way you can love God is God's love on the inside of you. Romans 11, for of him, through him, and to him are all things, to him be the glory. Of him, to him, through him. You do not give to anything to God that originates with you. Brilliant system. He's like, I want you to love me with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to pour my love in your heart. But you got to receive it. You know, that classic story from... Uh, a number of years ago, I heard the lady said to God, he goes, I'm trying to love people like you love me. And he goes, that's a problem. You don't get that I love you. So we, we must make a conscious decision to receive our elevated status. Jesus, the son of man, lived by knowing that the father delighted in him. We must live with knowing that the father delights in us. We must, we must not only live knowing he loves us, but we must put our trust in that love. Jesus heard the voice of the Father, then agreed with the voice of the Father. It's, it's, it's in knowing and experiencing the love of the Father that Jesus' Son connected with the Father and the Holy Spirit. See, here's the deal. God loves the world. Yeah, that's kind of a weird thing some believers believe. You're like, you know, he loves believers, but he really hates all those people sinning. No, he loves the world. What happens is when you come into Christ, you actually position yourself to live under a fountain of experiencing that love over and over again as a lifestyle. It's very important, not just to know that he's loved you, but to receive it, acknowledge it, and live in the experience of it. 
Jesus' baptism. This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. In that verse, you'll see the, the little translation of that. He, he, it says, he loudly said, This is my beloved Son, in whom I'm well pleased. But, you'll see in Scripture too, Jesus confessed the Father's love for him. For the Father loves the Son, John 5. The Father loves the Son. John 10, verse 17. For this reason, the Father loves me. He understood it. It was in knowing the kindness of God that caused him to live this life of great faith in God. 